if you can diverse your supplier base in the number that you have. When something like this happens, a global pandemic, and I'm sure this isn't going to be the last one that our humanity faces over time, it's making sure like not only do you have the number who can supply you with things if somebody is out of stock of something, but also you can rely on the risk management that they've also done within their supply chain. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Seth Colliner, and I'm here with Heather Foch, the toner queen, which you may have surmised from her headgear. Heather, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a bit about your background and your current role. Oh, gosh. I started in this industry for printing supplies and printer hardware about 20 years ago. And back then, it was a very transactional sort of nature of starting my company. I mean, I had no book of business or anything. So I was really just hit the ground running. And it's been an, an interesting ride. You know, my evolution as a salesperson, learning how to collaborate and work with my audience, which are typically people in procurement or sourcing or supply chain, and really learning more about what their roles are and what is important to them so that I can essentially do my job better and interact with them in, in a more collaborative, transparent way. It's been a lot of fun. That's great. Well, and, and I want to talk as we lead in here, n- not gloss over the 20 year thing. So you founded this company 20 years ago. Which is I did. an eternity in tech. Just tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like. Oh, gosh. Right out of college. And I didn't go to school to be in sales or running a business or anything like that. I actually, even in my college years, I didn't even take any business classes or marketing. Any of the things that probably would have helped me along this journey. My major was animal sciences. So I was all math and science in, in my college years. And it was in my last year of school before I was going to get ready to apply to vet school. And I'd already been spending time like volunteering in the different departments within the vet school that was at UC Davis. So I'd had an idea of like what to expect in radiology and surgery and all those other units. And I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I really couldn't find a specialty that I thought would be something that would engage me over the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of my life. So I thought I'm not going to commit another four or five years of college and, you know, upwards of 200,000 in tuition. And not know that I was not going to be fulfilled and happy. So I took a break after school was over and decided, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'd had another person in my life at that time. And we decided, okay, let's just, let's start this company. At that time, printer supplies was a really kind of a dynamic and growing industry, trying to find a niche and, you know, saving money on supplies that was like always at the forefront. But what I learned in the first few years is you pigeonhole yourself as being a transactional supplier. And that was never my goal. I'm a very much more of a relationship type person. So most of my clients have been with me the entire 20 years that I've been in business, which is amazing to me. And it's because that I foster those relationships and I nurture them and we do that together. So it's been interesting to kind of see the tidal wave and ebb and flow of what this industry has, has seen. The pandemic, you know, for sure changed the landscape of how people purchase supplies and what they're ordering and what they're using in the office, whether they're still, you know, remote or work from home or whether they went, you know, full back into the office or not. So it's been kind of interesting to see, especially the last like five, 10 years, how our industry has changed. Yeah. Again, it's uh, wild to me that you've been doing one thing for 20 years. It's fantastic, especially the rate of change in the technology world, which, you know, it's a thousand miles an hour and it's hard to keep one thing relevant for that long. So I'm I'm fascinated by that. I I love that that is going to color your perspective on all of the things we're talking about today. 
And I, I want to pivot to talking more specifically about procurement. With all apologies to everyone in the field of procurement, we all know it can be kind of a dry subject at times. And it can be somewhat cold as well. Sometimes it gets reduced to just numbers on spreadsheets and just data and dollar amounts. But you cut completely against that. You take a very human approach and you bring a lot of personality to the table. And you just touched on it a moment ago. But talk about what you do with that approach and why. From the beginning, QIS, we have always prioritized personal connections with our clients and our suppliers that we also work with too, treating them more as a business partner rather than just a business transaction. I mean, no one wants to be just a line on the spreadsheet. There's so much more that goes into a relationship than just some columns and rows. So by doing you know this in this way, it allows us to kind of create more of a positive collaborative experience and working environment that ultimately helps us with our clients reach their overall long-term goals. And our mission has always been to treat, basically treat people how we want to be treated. So I'm very picky when it comes to other salespeople actually reaching out to me. I'm the biggest critic because of the, the years in sales that I've been. And it's also helped me engage with procurement and supply chain folks in in a better way as well, where it's more receptive. Everyone talks about, oh, what's your value prop? You know, it's a big thing in sales. And and that's one thing that supply chain and procurement professionals have been working on for the last few years is because they've always been thought of, like you said, as like the penny pincher, as the number cruncher, as the, I can get a cheap, cheaper, similar elf kind of mentality. And, but there's so much more than that. It's so much more nuanced than I ever thought, you know, in the first few years that I started this company. Um, so it's been really cool to, to kind of see the whole profession evolve on that side. Well, and speaking of that, talk a little bit about what's changed, let's say in the past decade in terms of what's important to procurement. Oh gosh, I would say, you know, 20 years ago, it definitely was cost. Everything was focused on cost. But the funny thing was, because our economy was doing a little bit better, this, now this was before the Great Recession. So money was great. You know, real estate was flowing. All the all, all signs pointed to yes. In times of great economic prosperity, what I've noticed is people will spend money on just about everything because the money is, is there. It's flowing. It's available. There's not as many hurdles to go through to justify why to spend that money. People just kind of say yes and then move on to the next project. But whenever economic issues have risen, like with the Great Recession, what we have all been going through with COVID, now post-COVID, we've got, you know, recession and inflationary times. That's when people pay more attention to pricing and costs and lowering costs and reducing overhead and all of those things. So it's been this sort of wave of whatever's happening in our economy, however well we are doing business-wise, is how much money people will spend. So I've actually had my best growth period during times of recession or inflationary periods because all of a sudden like the c-suite guys are like hey we need to rein in some of these costs you know travel travel expenses get cut all of these things get cut you start seeing layoffs all of these things and then they start focusing again on price now procurement doesn't want to be just thought of that because that's what their definition kind of was 20 years ago where they were just basically processing requisitions into POs, and that's all they did. But they provide so much more value than that, especially when it comes to data transparency, supply chain transparency, you know, vetting vendors, you know, they created this whole supplier relationship management realm of, of what they do as well. And that's so that they can better create, you know, and foster those relationships. And then now you've got, you know, DEI and ESG and all of those other acronyms floating around. And, and it's it's procurement that is at the bedrock of all of that. It's a fascinating concept that, that procurement's the bedrock of all of that. 
Well, and in terms of all those very important efforts, sustainability efforts and DEI and ESG, so what does happen when budgets get tight to those things? Yeah, you know, there's some austerity right now in tech, right? A lot of the VC funding has evaporated uh, somewhat. There's been lots of layoffs. The market is, is very interesting. And so what do you do about that for your customers in these times? If you can kind of just keep expanding on that. Yeah, absolutely. It's that the pandemic really forced a lot of us to open our eyes and take a look at what we've all been doing. If you notice any of the big brand name companies that were out there that dove right into DEI and ESG, like during the pandemic and all of the political things that were happening around that same time, they did that without a clear goal of how to get where they wanted to be. It was like, we need a mouthpiece. Let's put, let's throw someone into this role, the C-suite role and just run with it because they thought maybe at the end of the day, it would be a good soundbite. But they did that without actually like following the steps of how to actually start that journey and where they wanted to go, or even talking about what their goals were. I mean, you can take a flow chart with DEI and ESG and, and drill it down a thousand pages deep of how intricate and complex, you know, these two initiatives really are. But sometimes that can just be added noise just because everyone wants to have a voice and opinion on, you know, that journey for their organization. doesn't mean that they don't need to be her, but it doesn't need, need to be where everyone's voice starts kind of overshadowing everything else. And then, then you end up, you know, two, three years down the road and, and you haven't accomplished really anything because you've been listening to way too many people. So where we kind of try and take our approach to it is focusing on sustainable products, ensuring our own supply chain has no bad actors in it. That includes forced human labor, human trafficking and child exploitation, which actually does exist in the toner cartridge industry, believe it or not. And then being a diverse supplier because, you know, supplier diversity is a big thing with a lot of different midsize and enterprise level companies and the gov level organizations as well. So what we try to do is over at the end of the day, provide them with value. What is it that they need? What are their goals? And how can we help them reach that long-term goal through our products or our services or our different certifications, you know, for supplier diversity or for sustainability? Yeah. Well, and, and, Talk more about the importance of diversity in the supply chain. And, you know, I talked about this in an earlier conversation about how that issue really showed up in the pandemic. But, you know, we've, I think we've all maybe learned something about that since that time. But, but talk about the importance of diversity in the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. Diversity supply chain kind of has two different meanings for me. The pandemic was kind of the swift kick in the rear that we all needed to really take a look at, at inside, as I mentioned before, what we were doing, not just how, you know, fragile and broken our supply chain was at that time, but also, you know, what is it that we're purchasing it? Why are we purchasing it? Where are we purchasing it from? And where in, in the globe does it actually come from? Like, how are all those pieces? And we were kind of talking about blockchain a little bit, kind of encompasses, you know, supply chain transparency. And that's one thing that we were lacking, thoroughly lacking. So when the pandemic hit, if you want to think of, of our global supply chain as a boat with a bunch of really tiny little holes in it, kind of slowly taking on wire that we just hadn't noticed because they were just coming in as drips. Then the pandemic hit and it was like all of a sudden all those holes became like one inch holes and the water started coming in much, much faster. So at the time, for a long time, a term called supplier consolidation in that frame, uh, framework it was really something that a lot of organizations, government and, and private companies were doing. They were trying to focus on let's reduce the amount of suppliers that we have so we can focus our pricing and get better volume you know, from those smaller amount of suppliers 
and, and overall lower costs across the board. It's going to be so great. It's going to be amazing. All of these things. Well, when the pandemic hit, when you're, you know, first and, and, and second row of supply prime contractors that you are sourcing your supplies for, whether it's for direct so that you can make your own product and sell or indirect, you know, for stuff that you need to actually run the operations of your company. If those two suppliers couldn't provide you with something because their own supply chain was broken, like that was the issue. It was mm-hmm. not just your supply chain, but like your supplier supply chain and their supplier supply chain all the way down the road. And that's kind of where I think supply chain transparency really took a forefront in data, clean data. All of those things are like hot topics right now with procurement and supply chain. So really, it's like if you can diverse your supplier base in the number that you have, I'm not saying you have 100 that could provide the same thing. But when something like this happens, a global pandemic, and I'm sure this isn't going to be the last one that our humanity faces over time, it's making sure like not only do you have the number who can supply you with things if somebody is out of stock of something, but also you can rely on the risk management that they've also done within their supply chain. The other side of diversity in supply chain is also obviously diverse suppliers. So are they certified? Are Do they live in hub zones? What's their ethnicity? Are they LGBTQ plus? Are they any of those things? Because also adding that added layer of diverse suppliers to diversity in supply chain just adds that extra kind of an extra layer of protection because there are a lot of diverse suppliers out there that are small and mid-sized that really provide kind of more niche services and products to customers that they might not be able to get with big box stores or with some of the bigger brand name kind of suppliers or service providers because they're just so global they have to try and reach you know a, a much larger audience where you have a smaller supplier who maybe focuses on a particular industry you're going to get more of a niche and more of a tailored kind of book of services from them this episode is brought to you by tonkeen Tonkin's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. It's interesting. It struck me that the first part of the diversity issue mirrors just like any kind of investment strategy, right? Like you can't just have one investment account. You're supposed to have many in many different areas, right? For all those reasons, in case something falls through or something crashes or whatever the case may be, that that diversity protects you. And the other thought I had uh, listening to you talk about that was the second part that mirrors a lot of the software solutions out there, right? That there's big all-in-one offerings and then there's a lot of little point solutions there's lots of pros and cons to each, right? Like sometimes a point solution is perfect because you just need this one thing, a solution that knows it inside and out and can solve all the tiny little problems. And sometimes it's just, you just need some kind of all-in-one to cover everything for you. I find that fascinating. Talk more about the transparency issue in terms of what's the need there. And then what are the technologies around it? Because yeah, you mentioned blockchain. Before we hit record, we were talking just about this and that and blockchain came up. I haven't had a conversation about blockchain in some years, to be honest, you know, it's something that sort of fell out of the hype cycle for most of us, I think. And, you know, a lot of the conversation now about the technologies that are coming into lots of different fields, including procurement, are very much about automation and AI. But talk about the transparency issue and the technologies that are involved, in, including, I guess, blockchain. There have been so many more procurement and supply chain related software companies, you know, tech popping up. You know, you, we've always had Ariba, we've always had JD Edwards, we've always had, you know, SAP, all of those big, you know, companies have, Oracle have always been around to provide 
very blanket wide, you know, CRM, ERP, all of those things for everybody. But what I've kind of noticed in another industry too, and I'll touch that base that in a, in a second, procurement kind of neat is its own field. They require their own sort of set of rules so that they can collect the right data. And, and really all blockchain to me is my understanding of it, which is not high level, but from what I understand of it, it's just about data transparency. And you can really correlate that with any industry that's out there. If you want to talk about supply chain or finance and any of those sorts of um, other avenues where you need to know all the way down the chain, the blockchain, where something was, where it came from, who made it, what's it made of, where did those components come from that it's made of, all those tiny little things. So I think blockchain, the word blockchain has kind of morphed into data transparency. And now it's a little, it's a little bit more digestible. So now you're seeing, oh, predictive AI and procurement, predictive procurement, you know, by all these companies, you know, Jagger and CBO and gosh, like Tealbook, all, all of the Coupa, all of these big companies are coming out. Source Day, you know, is another great company too, coming out with these solutions, you know, for procurement. And it's really about trying to find the right ones to bring in. Cause obviously it's the thing with right now in our economic time. You can't just spend money willy-nilly. I mean, 10 years ago, companies were buying software after software with like a thousand or 5,000 or 10,000 licenses to it and, and getting themselves in. And, and maybe three or four years in, they realized, God, this is really not the right fit for us. I had a client that went through that a couple of years ago, and it was a painfully expensive project that they ended up just abandoning. And now, now they're much better. But Data and everything, it's such a, at the forefront of what procurement is. I've got a really good friend, Susan Walsh, with the classification guru. And all she talks about is cleaning up dirty data. And she's such a character and she brings her personality, you know, to the forefront. And that's kind of what I try and do with myself as well. I've been, like you said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to printer toner and maximizing value with your hardware and, and how, how to really streamline things. And so that, you know, a friend of mine dubbed me the toner queen and I just kind of ran with it because it was fun. And I get to wear a crown because who doesn't want to wear one of those? I had some, you know, nifty suits made. So when I go to conferences, I'm kind of donning the whole persona. But it's been so fun to kind of get myself out there and in a whole new way than, than what I was doing when I first started 20 years ago. There wasn't really LinkedIn. I didn't really get on LinkedIn till like maybe late 2010, like 2009, 2010, I think is when I first got on it. And it's evolved so much as far as social media goes and how we digest content and everything. So, I mean, there's so much information on LinkedIn when it comes to data transparency and predictive AI and all of those things. That's really, there's really no excuse now not to be informed what's happening and and how procurement supply chain are changing every day. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned Susan. She's been on the show, made a good conversation very recently, actually. And so in terms of the transparency issue, like there's two sides to it, right? In fact, if I'm wrong here, you know, one side is you need to see where everything is so you can do the job, do it well. And then there's the audibility side too, right? Am I wrong to think that those are maybe equally important or that they're both just very important and you have to think about both of them? I think it depends on the size of your company. Like I have clients that are in dental and healthcare and their needs at a procurement level are a little bit different than businesses in other industries. So I've been working, and that was the parallel I was kind of talking about before. They don't use the same software that traditional procurement teams use. They use one that is geared towards dental and healthcare because they have HIPAA and all these other things involved. There's a little bit more compliance and stuff involved on that end. But I would say their procurement teams are a little bit more, not immature, but they're more mid-sized, especially if they've got 
funding from, you know, private equity. There's a term out there called DSO, so dental services organization basically just grows mostly through acquisitions, but they do a lot of de novo work as well, where they're opening up, you know, a brand new store from scratch. And their needs are a little bit different. So even though they are procuring things, they're using AI and all of those automated tools in a much different way for patient retention and all of that kind of stuff, employee retention. When it comes to procurement, and I sat in at a conference a couple of weeks ago at a session that was talking about predictive AI. And in the session, it was the the company that provided the service, the software, and then their client was actually the one who was giving the presentation on the problems that they had how this software provider came in and solved XYZ and then how they've evolved since then and why things are so much better now, you know, since they started using that. But one of the things I kind of found interesting was like somebody asked in the crowd, what if something changes? How do you get from A to B, A to C? And they're like, well, well, you have to tell it. (laughs) So it sounds predictive. It sounds like data from Star Trek, like all of a sudden things are just happening on its own and maybe You know, AI has a mind of its own and it's doing its own thing, but we're the ones programming it. We're the ones inputting in the data and the data has to be clean. And if it's not clean, then you end up, you know, garbage in, garbage out, basically, which is another term that a lot of procurement supply chain and finance people use. So it really is about, it's all about the data. We're pivoting to the boilerplate question portion of the show. What's the best advice you've received in your career? Man, early on, I was probably stupid. Not probably. I was much more of an insecure person. I was 22. So, you know, coming out uh, of college and just jumping right into owning a business was a huge risk. You know, I took that leap. And and I used to, early on, when I was connecting with people on LinkedIn, I used to send people a link when when I wanted to connect with them to an article that talked about taking a leap of faith. And I really just kind of took that to heart a little bit. So as I kind of progressed in my career, the the thing I've learned that was the best advice and thing I still I practice is to just be myself. There are so many sales books and podcasts and conferences that all gear towards salespeople improving their sales numbers, basically, right? But if you can't be your authentic self or you constantly engage with your audience, i.e. your customers that you want to sell to, and you engage with them with an ask instead of providing them with value at the, at the forefront, then you're like, you're just a taker. And mm. they get hit with, you know, cold calls and cold emails day in and day out with people who want something from them, right? No one, if you, if you were at a party and you didn't know anyone in the, you knew one person in the room and that one person introduced you to someone else that you could grow your network, right? After you said, hey, my name is name's Bob, hi, I'm Hillary, whatever, you know, you exchange quick pleasantries, you wouldn't then ask that person for a really big favor, right? I mean, and that's essentially what a lot of salespeople do. We assume that the customer we're going after has a problem that we can solve, and they might not. So, like, if you're in sales and you're getting ghosted and you're sending out, you know, a million follow-up emails or right away, if you do get your connection accepted by someone that you're trying to sell to and the first thing you do is ask them for, you know, time for a demo or any of those things so you can show them what you do, you you just totally, like, miss the mark. You're speaking to a blank wall because you're not going to get the response that you want. So, what I've learned is be myself and provide value. I mean, that's really what it comes to is like the last 10 years, I've been spending a lot more time on LinkedIn, mostly because that's where my audience is, and learning about what is important to procurement and supply chain. And not just indirect 
buyers, because that's who buys my particular product, is buys my category products. But as a whole, what are the things that they are struggling with? What are the things that they worry about? So when I you know look at the next calendar year and I'm going to conferences, nine times out of ten, the ones I'm going to are procurement or supply chain related conferences because one, that's where they're all at. And I either get to meet them in person for the first time or just in general, get to grow my network. But then I also get to sit in on sessions, which I find so valuable to learn about what it is that is keeping them up at night. And then I can go, okay, I can have those conversations, you know, as a takeaway and really provide that value to my customers, whether it's through my own content or if I find an article that's interesting, I'll pass it along. I see job opportunities all the time. I'm constantly passing those along to my network as well. And you start building that sort of oh, Heather's this person who kind of knows a lot. She's kind of a geek when it comes to ink and toner. And, but that's not all that she's about. She supports, you know, women in procurement. She supports women in business. She supports her connections. You know, if they're looking for a new job or their next new gig, or they have a struggle with a particular category, you know, I might not be able to solve a problem that they have, but I might know someone who can. And so just being that person who can provide value without ex- expecting anything in return, right? I mean, you really have to be kind of altruistic and it has to be genuine. If it feels fake at all, I mean, you're going to end up with a bunch of fake relationships. That's kind of what it is. So you know, I try my hardest to be authentically me, which means I'm kind of weird because I walk around with a crown at a conference, a three-day conference. <laughs> but it just shows you, you know, what a human being I am and that you know, I can be quirky and I can be funny and, you know, I can make fun of myself a little bit, but I also know what the heck I'm talking about too at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to forget the tiara, you know, it's good branding. Right. Yep. <laughs> Especially yep. on the show floor. Before we go, is there anything you want to specifically promote or share about yourself or your company? And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say if your company has not looked at your printer cartridge or printer hardware spend since before the pandemic, which a lot of companies didn't because they kind of shelved all of the non-priority categories for a couple of years. So if you haven't looked at that spin in a couple of years, now is the time, especially since 2024 is around the corner. Printer hardware and supply needs have changed dramatically for a lot of different businesses because their business operations have changed. So if you are looking for help with navigating existing contracts, analyzing your own current needs, and coming up with a cost-effective and sustainable solution for what your company is using, then please feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me via email. It's just heather.foch at qualityimagingsolutions.com. You can check us out through our website. We have a blog as well on there, which we post regularly, you know, different industry topics, a lot of procurement-related things on supply chain as well, sustainability, supplier diversity. But I would say for the most part, I'm primarily on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and send me a connect request. I love connecting with people and learning about what they do. And and if I can help, you know, someone in any way, I, I'm happy to do that. Even if it's through like network connections. So I would say LinkedIn probably is like the number of quick way to reach me. But, you know, I'm always available on our website or, or via email as well. Great. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your perspectives. Heather Foch, the Toner Queen, look for the tiara at a procurement conference near you soon. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Seth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkeen.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 
And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkin community at tonkin.com community. 